Podcast 56, Horticulture of the United States of Pocahontas. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so I'm here with Dave Bennett. This is Paul Wheaton. Lord of the Jungle, you know. <laughs> well, hey, in fact, I, I got I got something that uh, I found on the mighty internet. Oh, cut it, cut it out, cut it out. Yeah, wasn't it? So uh, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. <clears throat> it works, Johnny. I can start calling you Johnny Weissmuller. So I, you know, I it's been a long time since I saw Tarzan. And and uh, I thought that was pretty pretty good. Um, uh, oh, and I got and as we're, as we're doing the podcast, I got email from Jocelyn about the, today's topic. Uh, so that way we have even more information. Cool. <clears throat> All right. So today we're going to talk about uh, horticulture of the United States of Pocahontas. And so this is something that I've just made up. And uh, I, it's actually something that's been burning in my head for about seven months. And it was um, about a month ago that I posted a thread out at Permies where I expressed it. And um, I just, it was, it's one of those things where, where A, I'm making up a word, I'm making up a new word. Uh, and I, um, the uh, what it, when people talk about what is permaculture and they ask me about how is my philosophy different, I feel like I've been having a real challenge expressing what I shoot for, which what I'm trying to do is something that I think is well beyond our current understanding of, of permaculture. And there's a lot of little bits and bobs that are really, really different. So a lot of people are like, okay, I'm going to go out and do my permaculture thing, and one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to mulch with cardboard. And um, and I'm not okay with that. Um, and then other people are like, I'm going to make this uh, structure, and then I'm going to paint it. And it's like, I really don't want to paint mine. And uh, and so as we talk about soils and stuff like that, I'm I'm shooting for something that I think is beyond the 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 stuff. So if, if we were to make permaculture scale or or something like that, let's, one one could even have an inverted scale and say that. I'm a little bit more anal retentive than most about what I want to do, and that um, while a lot of people are going to be totally comfortable with um, cardboard and paint and and uh, uh, things of that nature, I'm not. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, anything to add, Dave, before we get started? Uh, I can't think of anything other than uh, well. I mean, I already. I already understand how how you can not want to have any paint or anything. It's kind of like defeating the purpose of of a really well defined defi- your definition that suits your vision. You know, permaculture for you suits what you just described is a big part of of a definition that is something that. I've gotten from from interaction with you over the over the the couple of months that we've known each other now, based on listening to all the podcasts and and kind of got your point of view of how you your application of permaculture as as your definition 
Well, I, I wouldn't different. Say it's, it's my a, definition of permaculture, husp is like my. I'm trying to express something that's that's I haven't been able to express before. Well, yeah, and I, and I just equated that with your vision of of permaculture. I got a lot of that from from the fictitious story that you posted. Was that this is how I think it should be, and why isn't it? That's the question that I got from the, the, your story. Was this is how I think it would be more? It would be better this way, and why isn't it? Well, I think I think what I'm trying to express is that there's some place where I want to go to, but I don't know where that is. I there, there's something far better than what I can imagine. And I feel like I've got a long ways to go to get there. So right now, uh, I mean, there's what we know about permaculture, and then I tend to be more anal retentive than most when it comes to what I want to do with permaculture. Um, but it's like I, I want to improve my anal retentiveness in this space by a factor of 10. I, I I just can't help but think that there are there is so much more to understand. Now, granted, I can have ten thousand people come to me waving the permaculture flag and tell me, you know, oh Paul, here's the thing that you need to know, and this is your path. And and I mean, I get that already a dozen times a day. People telling me that I don't, you know, that that. I need to grow, and here's how I need to grow. And uh, I need, I here's my, here's the new information that I need to embrace. Not here's some new information I'd like you to look at, but no, I expect you to do this or think this or whatever. But so here's what I'm trying to do is 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 I'm trying to express where I want to go. Husp is entirely about trying to figure out the destination and and husp is also an expression of i i do not know at this time but i've got some ideas of what it might smell like so i don't know this, this is probably making things far more confusing well actually it it cleared up a, a few things for me you know as far as Develop to finding the path that you want to take, to, and it may take some some turns, and you may come to forks in the road to, along the way and say, "Gee, now what?" It's I this is this is a thought experiment, really, and and this is something I'll probably never figure out in all of my life of what husp is, um, you know. But it's like this is this is a framework. For trying to figure, for trying to get closer to understanding what husp is, with the, with part of the idea being is probably I will probably never figure it out. By the time I die, I probably will not have figured it out. I would expect though that you would be well along the path of of getting in, in at least having a direction by by I, then anyway. I hope to improve by expressing this and drawing other people into it that that are of a mindset of attempting to help as opposed to dictating to me what what to think i i hope to improve my velocity towards gaining a better understanding of what is husp 
So HUSP is an acronym for the Horticulture of the United States of Pocahontas. And, and I realize at this point it doesn't make any sense, but here's what I'm going to do is, is that this has been, this has been an, uh, a burr under my saddle for months and months and months. And so I very carefully uh, took one morning to express it very exactly. <clears throat> and I think fair, it was, it was, it's short. It's pretty short. And so uh, I'm going to just simply read that, which starts the husp thread out of Permies, and then we'll go from there. So <clears throat> this is fiction. I made it up. Mr. Rogers said it was okay to do this. My fiction starts with fact. In 1608, a boat comes to the shores of what is now known as the United States of America. Then comes my fiction. Rather than things working out the way we know now, things go a bit different. Pocahontas turns out to be a bit of a warrior genius. And next thing you know, the Europeans decide to not stick any more flags in this soil. Continuing with my fiction, the centuries pass and the borders for the United States of Pocahontas just so happen to be the exact same borders that we now know as the USA. There is trade between the USP and other countries. And the USP has values that are a bit different than other countries, especially when it comes to agriculture. Before Pocahontas, agriculture was practiced. And permaculture is a lot like that. And when folks outside the USP said, hey, this plowing thing is awesome. You should try it. The folks in the USP said, that seems like a practice that is disrespectful to Mother Earth. We choose to not do that. Similar sorts of things have happened with petroleum-based fertilizers and pesticides. The culture within the USP evolved a lot, but these values about respect for Earth remained. In my imagination, the amount of food produced per acre is far more than what other countries can accomplish. Plus, the lifespan and overall health exceeds all other nations. The number one industry in the USP is a sort of health tourism. When people come here, their ills tend to just fade away. I am curious to know what their practices are. Since this is all in my imagination, I am the only one that can possibly paint this picture. Oh, sure. Other people can take this idea and paint their own pictures or send ideas my way about what I might want to put in my picture. But overall, I am trying to express something that is in my head. For the last six or seven months, I've been thinking a lot about the USP and agriculture, horticulture that happens there, and how we might accelerate our learning about permaculture to end up somewhere beyond permaculture. 
I've decided to make up a new word, HUSP. This is actually an acronym for Horticulture of the United States of Pocahontas. I choose that this word is all lowercase as opposed to an all-cap sort of thing. I feel I need this word to talk about other stuff. I'm okay with other people using this word, but in order for me to talk about other things, I need to make sure other people do not attempt to redefine this word. So, my word, mine. If you want something different, go make up your own words. All right, that was my first post. And uh, I've got another post, which is like the second part of, of getting this to work out. But the funny thing is, is that it's like immediately in this thread, uh, people started to try and tell me what husp means. And they are wrong. There was a bunch of stuff that was just wrong. It, it's not husp. And they're already trying to say what it is. And it's kind of like, no, this is, I want to I emphasize my word. Other people go make up their own damn words. Or they can say, I've got an idea that's huspish or whatever. That's fine. But, man, stop trying to define husp. That's, you know, for me, I, I'm totally cool with people talking about it and helping uh, chip in ideas for husp. But for crying out loud, stop saying it's an absolute fact that husp is this way. All right. Any, any comments so far, Dave? Uh, no, I was, I was, I You're started waiting to hurry up. <laughs> no, I, I started scrolling ahead and 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 reading some of these definitions that are here, and, and uh, you're exact. You're absolutely right about that. They're, well, this is what I think you mean, and I I even I even chimed in on that. Uh, so there there are people that want to talk about the politics of husp and stuff like that, and it's kind of like. And I don't care. I mean, when you talk about history, there's some people that, that really romanticize Native American culture. And I, you know, and I think that there are some bits that are of great value. Um, and uh, at, the, at the same time, they tend to ignore that, um, you know, like they, try, they have this in their imagination that, you know, man, these guys were all so smooth. And uh, they, they, they um, and, and then other people will get all hostile and they'll point out, well, hostility. It's like, well, they kind of, different tribes would kind of kill each other, you know, for different reasons and that's, stuff. That's very true. I mean, the, there was a lot of violence in, among those uh, among those peoples. So there was there was violence between the Europeans and the, the um, uh, you know the the Huspians. <laughs> but uh, well, from the, the I, I kind of you know because when we talk about Native Americans, it's like okay, first of all, we, we've got the word American in there, which is like not a native word at all which kind of bugs me. And then there's the Indians, which I once heard a thing with Indians, and they were, they were saying, like, oh, no, you know what? We really like the term Indian because it just shows how stupid white people are. They thought we were from <laughs> India. I mean, it's like, this is, this is just great. Oh, yeah, we'll take that. Because <laughs> every time we say it, it's like saying, white people are so stupid. <laughs> well, that, that's like the, the – that's I, I have taken to, to using the term first people. And, uh, True, uh, but again, first people, two English words. True. And so I like, so the United States Pocahontas, we've got some English words in there, but we've got Pocahontas in there, you know. So, but anyway, um, all right, part, part two of this. <clears throat> now that I have this word, husp, 
Here is the first thing I wish to build with this word. Something a bit less in the world of imagination and a bit more in reality. I am curious about what may have been. Considering today's reality, I wonder a fair bit about how we might go about recreating HUSP 2011. Oh, look, I did it in all caps. I typed HUSP in all caps, even though I said earlier, don't do it in all caps. <laughs> Since I don't know what that is, then I know I need far more knowledge than I have now. And I need to accelerate the collaborative innovation of millions of people over the last 403 years. The foundations seem, to me, to smell a bit like permaculture, biodynamic, respectful harvest, and an overall more symbiotic relationship with nature, as opposed to the current model, which kind of seems like, make nature my personal bitch. I wonder, what if there was a plot of 2,000 acres that was broken into a couple of dozen chunks? Some chunks might be 200 acres, and some chunks might be 2 acres. And folks keen on permaculture were put on some chunks, and folks keen on biodynamic were put on other chunks, and folks keen on native plants were put on others. Each person is looked at as sort of an artist and is asked to construct their masterpiece in soil and seed on their chunk of land. And every few months, these people gather, visit, and see the art created by the other artists, thus allowing a sort of cross-pollination of knowledge. Perhaps, in time, we will get closer to HUSP 2011. Oh, this time I used all over case. I have a lot more details surrounding HUSP and how we might rediscover it, but I just really needed to express at least a little bit right now. So that, this this thing here came to me from a thing where there's a bunch of people up on uh, the Flathead Reservation, and they um, were keen on the idea of uh, getting me like a 200-acre chunk of land and having me go do what I do. And, um, and as I sat down and visited with them on several different occasions about this idea, I came up with the idea of like, because uh, um, I, I became more and more aware of what the resources were of the reservation. I came up with the idea of why not set aside 2,000 acres and then, um, you know, try and set up a bunch of different people that, you know, are would effectively be these artists in soil and seed and um, and turn them loose. And so they're all right next to each other. So hopefully there'll be a lot of cross pollination. And then at the at the moment I was I was getting this idea, this was like last winter that I was visiting with them, when it first occurred to me, I was saying, okay, let's let's refer I I had this really awful way of expressing it. I was calling it Native Guy 2.0. And I said, you know, and so I, I basically told the same story of of uh, HUSP, only they were like, rather than calling it HUSP, how about if we go with uh, 
Sacagawea. <laughs> you know, a little more one of, one of the local gals. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I suppose that one is out there on the East Coast. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that it would initiate, because it's like, you know, where did the Europeans kind of land and get started? And at that point, there was like, you know, nope, this isn't going to work out. We're going to stay sovereign, and you guys are going to like, you know, you guys could go back to your own place. Um, so, uh, uh, in which case, um, it's it's going to be Pocahontas. Uh, um, but I, I was painting this picture, and, and um, I, you know, much like any branch of government, the the um, there is the reservation folks. Uh, we went and we visited with with some folks in their office, and and it was kind of like um, it was difficult um, in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, uh, with a lot of history as being a corporate whore, I, I you know kind of. You know, I've been in a lot of different offices, and and I, I had a pretty good idea of how this would probably go down, and you know, how we start to hammer out a path to maybe get this to work, or or maybe just have them say no, we don't want to, piss off. Um, instead, I as I started talking about you know, different ideas and things like that, I I was kind of like, and you know, then we'll be able to bring more cash flow to the area. And they were like, no, we don't want that. And that kind of was kind of threw me for a bit of a loop. And apparently what they're trying to do is is reacquire a lot of their – because it's like uh, on the reservation, a lot of land has been sold um, to people that are, uh, you know, not part of the tribe. So there's the uh, Salish and Kootenai tribes live on that land on that reservation and then there's also the the Pondere and I think that there's you know um, people that belong to other tribes will also live on this land but the, but the thing is is that non-tribal people are have bought over the years uh, you know a bunch of the land and currently live there and they're kind of like uh, oh, we'd like to get the land to be back to part of you know what we own so they're trying to buy it back and, the, and part of their strategy for buying it back is keeping the price low they want they want the prop the land to have not much mo- not not much monetary value I guess something like that I it was very it was it was a little weird to I mean I keep hearing opposites it's hard to believe what's going on and um, so but anyway um, so a lot of it came from that but uh, the bottom line is is that no matter where I go I, I do still have a passion about this idea of husp and I and I still also have a passion of like while I believe that I am going to get land here soon and and I'm going to um, effectively be an artist and seed and soil um, of you know, based on what I think is good art, I, uh, I I still relish the idea of not only being able to see the art of others, which is a big part of the reason why I travel around so much and get so much video of this kind of stuff, but I also want them to see my stuff. And then if my peers, if my fellow artisans look at my stuff and say that was awesome I'm going to work that into my stuff then and then I look at their stuff and say that was awesome I'm going to work it into my stuff then then I would think that it's going to uh, 
know, accelerate a lot of this knowledge. I agree. I agree. It, it both. If it was just you and one other, that you're, it's going to wind up with two different visions with with a similar end result that's improved. I mean, like uh, Helen Atow is a great example. Um, uh, she and I have a lot of very opposing philosophies on a lot of different things. At the same time, I have immense respect for her work, and and we are constantly trying to prove the other wrong, <laughs> or you know I, ourselves I've, right. I've noticed that. <laughs> um, Skeeter has a different approach to doing this stuff. Um, Heidi Bohan has another approach. Um, you know, all these different people that all these different places I've been to and visited that are practicing permaculture, they all have different approaches and how they go about these things. And um, I I and these are these are I believe, you know, experts. And and um uh I know there's not enough information exchange going on between these experts and uh, for a variety of different reasons. And so I would just like to see more cross-pollination happen as well as be able to really give these people a place to, to fully and completely express their gobbledygook. You know, to to really um, have an opportunity to really kind of lay it out there. Anyway, so well, I I see. I kind of understand the, the the lack of interaction when between everybody seems to have their own little niche of well, this is my approach to this, and this is my approach to this, and something was pointed out about something that you did on your farm that had to do with with solving a problem by using the problem you know when you were talking about the the, the yellow jacket problem on your farm oh right that was a recent podcast wasn't it yes it was and it, it was one of those things where not everybody would have even thought of that approach that you came up with. Like, here's what the problem is, and, uh, well, here's I have these two problems. One is too many yellow jackets, and one is feeding my chickens through the winter. And you discovered a way to solve both problems at once. Well, I never Not actually implemented it, but I got close before right. I left the farm. It sounded to me, as through your description, that... It would have been at least successful as far as feeding your chickens, and I, I, you know, it also had to have had to reduce the, which what sounds like a really impressive. I can't imagine seeing that many swarms of of yellow jackets in one place. It must have made you crazy. It was it was a bizarre thing, but it's amazing. After a while, you get kind of used to it. That's well, the way it is. How many other quote-unquote permaculturists would have come up with the same solution. That may be some of why all of these people seem to not interact as much as they should. Well, you know what? I really think that if you're going to make it as a farmer, you have to be doing constant innovation. And if you're not, if you're not a tinkerer and you're not a, a, a mini-inventor, then you're gonna 
you're just not going to do very well. And uh, as I travel around and I visit all these different farmers, I see them coming up with new stuff all the time. There's a, there's a magazine, newspapery magazine out there called Farm Show, and it's just cover-to-cover inventions. Well, I have um, to check that out. That you know, well, it's it has a lot more to do with welding, <laughs> but I mean, there's all kinds of inventions in there, and it's like, uh, what an excellent pollinator of ideas for you know for cross pollination of like what we're talking about, and and it's and it's that cross pollination thing that I really like to have on permies, and and when the people came out and they were oppressing open innovation and the open discussion of ideas that's you know it's like no no you guys aren't a fit for this site you don't you don't understand what my site's really about and it's this innovation this cross-pollination of innovation is the thing that i really want those forums to be about and the only way they can be about that is if people get out there and participate which is now is a great time to to re-emphasize that which is that everybody listening to this podcast I need you, need you, you, the individual. Go out to permies.com, comment on something. Get your get your ass in gear. In order to have bigger thoughts and move forward and progress, we need good, healthy discussion, innovation, good questions. A good question is just as important as a good answer. Um, and so there's uh, and there's a lot of people out there. By the way, everybody's listening to these podcasts. I've been we, there's in a tinkering forum. We've been debating about this a little bit, and it's like the the number of people that that listen to the podcast seems to be holding pretty steady. So it's so the podcast space is not a growth space, and so um, it's like well. You know, uh, therefore, it kind of sucks. On the other hand, you know, here's a benefit. I we, we I convey a lot more information on the podcast than I do through the videos or through uh, uh, the forums themselves or through articles. And so, you know, what would be great is if the people who listen to the podcasts uh, will go out and find a question on Permies that has not been answered and answer it. Because you know you've heard more, you've heard more stuff. So let's let's make these podcasts have value to the community, and and uh, go out there and be part of the community, interact with the community. Don't just be a consumer of information. Help build a better future, um, and that's going to be you know through the interactions, and then of course through those interactions, interact appropriately. Do not make work for me. You know, when when you reply to something, don't say anything that's going to piss me off. I mean, and basically all that is is to qualify your statement, present your position as your position, not as the truth. And if somebody's being a, a dipshit, don't say you're being a dipshit. Click on that report to moderator thing. Help help make my life easier. Don't don't give me twice as much stuff to delete when I get to the forum. When somebody says something stupid, you don't have to say you're being stupid and you're being you're a dipshit. <laughs> you know, you're you're just too stupid. In fact, here's a here's a good tip. Don't use the word you. 
what I do is when I get to a forum, when I get to a thread where things have gone bad, I just I just search for the word you, and I end up deleting almost every post that has the word you in it. And um, and I don't go and delete it and say, oh, I'm so sorry that I deleted your post. It's uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, let me explain why. Let me hold your hand through my stuff. No, I just delete it and leave. You will never hear a thing. And it, and then the other thing is, somebody will write a huge post. And this is painful for me. Somebody will write a huge post full of awesome information. But you know what? If it's got one little snotty remark in it, I have to delete the whole thing. I, you know, I'm not. I can't. I'm not going to go in and edit your post because suddenly, next thing you know, it has a little marker at the bottom that says "edited by Paul," and uh, that's not appropriate. I, I need. It's an all-or-nothing deal, and I'll just delete the whole thing. Anyway, sorry. That's a little tangent there. It's a, it's fine, and I I will I will cop to to having had posts deleted because I said I made inappropriate, not necessarily nasty, but covering the point that you just covered about, well, this is, this is how it is. And even though I had, I could have probably backed it up, I shouldn't have worded it the way that it was worded. It wasn't like you said, the only rule here is be nice. And so, I violated yeah. that rule more than once, and I, I'm here to tell you that my posts disappeared. <laughs> I'm still here because I realized my error. So I think, if I remember correctly, and I can't remember all the posts that I've deleted because I've deleted a lot, but, but if I remember correctly, somebody had said something nasty, you know, nasty, nasty, nasty. And then, and then your response was, that was nasty. Or, you know, in which case... When I go and I delete their post, now your post doesn't, A, doesn't make any sense. B, you just suggested that somebody on Permies was less than perfect. You just suggested that somebody on Permies was nasty. So I have to delete it. You know, so that's part of the thing. You know, so I, I believe that this is, this is a, a two-pronged approach. One prong is that when somebody comes to the site and they want to participate, they will see that there is a precedent and that the way people communicate on permies is that um, they they uh, are respectful of the other people. That's pretty much what it all boils down to. And then the other is is that whenever so so then they will generally respond in kind. They will generally respond in a respectful manner. Now some people they just can't do that, uh, and so that'll be deleted. But but the other that the second prong is that people are actively uh, reinforcing. Those kinds of posts, respectful posts, and so now it's it's and it's building, and and we're getting more and more. The precedent is getting stronger. Oh, I agree. And now I'm going to steer us back into a direction that I want to steer us back to, and that is Arthur's Garden. I okay. I, I made a post a while back called in, entitled the, uh, "A Shaman's Garden," and it it's a, a story that's about a, my childhood and an, an elderly man who was a Native American who had a really unusual garden next to his, his home. And I used to, I spent lots and lots and lots of, of entire days sitting on his porch learning from this man. And I covered a lot of it during, uh, in my post and, and Paul, 
has encouraged me to remember more and add it as as it comes to mind. And he, I'm supposed to do a drawing, but I can't find it adequate software that'll work so I'm going to wind up putting one on paper and sending it to to Paul by snail mail so he can put it on the on the, the post <laughs> with his cell phone cuz I don't even own a cell phone I'm an old fashioned dude but one of the things that came to mind when I was up in my hometown this past week I went and looked at that place where the garden used to be and while it was disappointing in seeing it turned into a lawn because you know we we're talking about the early 50s and that was a long time ago one of the things that popped into my brain as I, I stood there on the street looking at where the garden once was and I re heard Arthur's words he said go in the forest and see what grows in certain places and what grows with it or near it that'll help you put he said that's how I put a lot of my garden together complementary plants that and I'm here to tell you from witness needed practically no work he just harvested most of most everything in his gardens his garden was perennials that were edible there were very few there were a few things that he that were annuals that he planted like corn and some of the stuff he just he didn't harvest at all and he let it self seed another interesting aspect of his place and it's unfortunate that that it's it's gone but I'm I've gotten pretty close with I I drew a map and I showed it to my older sister who is also really familiar with the place and she thinks it was that it's pretty accurate as as the way it was set up so I'm going to neaten it up a little bit and mail it off to Paul and you guys can see it on on a shaman's garden post on that thread at permies.com Right, we've talked about that a little bit in in previous podcasts, and uh, I I do think that that you know that's an important tidbit of information that we need to make sure is not lost. So yeah, get with it. The more the more I remember, the more I will add there as it comes back. You know, that was a I was a in grade school then and of course back then I just thought it was a, a, a nice old man telling me stories and I didn't realize until I got grown that he was teaching me about his style of gardening which by all definition is forest gardening I mean if you looked at it most of a lot most of the stuff in his garden came from the surrounding forest where I grew up so, <clears throat> definitely, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that picture. Draw it out. I, I, to me. I'm, I'm going to do, I already have one. In fact, it, I'm looking at it right now. It's, I'm just going to redo it so you can understand it better, and, that's, and then I'll, I'll get it in the mail to you. There you go. All right. You, you mentioned something to me earlier about, uh, about uh, a gentleman named Forrest Schumer. Forrest Schomer. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so uh, actually, we kind of podcasted about Forrest a while back, and it, it applies here uh, in a in a way in that um, uh, basically he took it upon himself to restore a camas prairie uh, over on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. And he had about a, an acre, and it's just—it it sounds to me like 
because uh, he, he basically figured out that it was a Camas prairie that the natives had cultivated uh, hundreds of years ago. And then, of course, you know, at the moment, I think it's some sort of golf course or something. Uh, and so then he got permission to go in there and um, uh, restore it. So I, I think he has put just enormous amounts of time into restoring it, pulling out all the non-natives, and basically, in my opinion, creating a museum piece of like, this is what this chunk of land looked like hundreds of years ago. Not like a field that you might see nearby that is covered in scotch broom or something like that. But um, this, this, this beautiful, and then when I was there, the, the camas was in bloom, and uh, I just got all these amazing pictures and all this amazing video, and I lost all that. So that was, it's all gone. Um, so Jocelyn and I made a podcast to try and recover what we could remember about it. But the big thing is, <clears throat> is that um, uh, a big variety of foods would be grown in these camas prairies. And, and Forrest was telling me about how um, they didn't live there, but what they would do is that they would come up in their canoes and then they would stay there for a few days, do a lot of harvesting and tending to the land and, and improving the area, and then they'd go on their merry way again. Um, and uh, uh, apparently there were these little camas prairies all over the place that were maintained like this. So, um, And then the funny thing is, is that I've got all the video footage for another piece on Camus where um, uh, I've got Rick Valley talking about how um, uh, the Europeans arrived with pigs and then they would uh, turn the pigs loose on these Camus prairies and the pigs would go gobble up all the Camus. And, you know, the, uh, the, the native folks are kind of like, what the hell, man? <laughs> it's, it's like our gardens, and they're like, nah. <laughs> so um, there was so so anger's rose, uh, retribution happened, then retribution on that, and and uh, you know things escalated and got bad, all because of pigs. So so basically, I, I believe that part of the message was is that a lot of the. Uh, Warring and hostility between the the natives and the Europeans was because of the the pig thing. So um, anyway, uh, I should, I should. excellent picture of many years ago and the idea of permaculture-ish systems being used so long ago, and we're going to grow from there. 400 years and and how did those systems evolve in 400 years while being surrounded by the knowledge of the ag systems that we have in place now in other countries and and cross-pollination as well it's uh it seems that you know that that's not unique to 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 that area up there i mean it, the, the europeans kind of did that from coast to coast you know, it, it, which ties in with with husp, with with your just the name. You know, horticulture of the United 
different states of Pocahontas. I mean, that those problems started, you know, they, they, I'm sure that they were on the East Coast as well. Although, there are those stories about uh, a lot of the early Europeans actually learning some things about agriculture from the natives on the East Coast. I don't, I'm, I can't, say one way or the other how true some of those stories are about learning to use fish as fertilizer for instance or fish remains as fertilizer there's no way you know it, it may be a Thanksgiving story that somebody just made up because it sounded good but it makes a great deal of sense to me I, I agree I, I think it is good to be using that kind of thing and I, and I also think it's interesting that it's actually um, it's a little bit Ruth Stout-esque I mean, as opposed to taking the fish remains, composting it down, and then using that compost, that they put the fish remains right out there next to the plants, still hot. Yeah. But they put it with things, they also put it with, with plants that could cope with that heat, with that, with that uh, you know, putridity, with that uh, uh, extreme uh, high-protein kind of stuff. And that would be corn. Corn could deal with that. But there would be other plants that would not be able to cope with that and it would probably kill them to be anywhere close to More that than likely. Of, yeah. More than likely. Now, one, of, one of the things that I learned from, from Arthur, he brought it back when you were talking about the, the Camas Prairie up there, is that that was another thing he he always used to tell me all the time about never having to to fertilize, never using fertilizer. He said, "I don't need to do any of that stuff." He said, "I, says, I have compost for my corn, and everything else is just there and grows." So, kind of good luck. You're on your own. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that ties in with with how he placed his plants. You know, they're in, they were in in groups of, of types that more than likely complemented one another. I have a video on YouTube that's Heidi Bohan, who is the author of People of Cascadia. And she um, uh, you know, talks about, in this video, she talks about um, the agriculture systems of the people of the Pacific Northwest, you know, the, agriculture system, the agriculture systems of the people that she writes about. And um, I titled the video that um, something like uh, uh, Native Agriculture um, is a lot like permaculture. And then I had somebody point out to me that, like, actually, it's the other way around. Permaculture is like Native American agriculture. And I thought that was a really good point. So I've been trying to to ride with that ever since. But to get an idea of, like, what were some of the permaculture or some of the agricultural practices of 500 years ago in, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, including Montana, um, then uh, uh, go, go to check out that uh, that YouTube video with Heidi Bohan. Um, I want to move on to the another post that I made later on in the thread about Husp, and uh, uh, this is when I'm attempting to uh, reply. I made a graphic and I put it up, and I'm trying to show a line that. Uh, that shows 
on the one end, um, what's like the lowest grade of food. On the other end, the highest grades of food. And there's a lot of overlap between some of these terms. And so, um, so for example, between USDA organic, what they call organic, and permaculture systems. So organic is typically a lower grade than permaculture, but there is some overlap. Um, and then I've defined one point on the graph as sustainable because the word sustainable means barely not dead. <laughs> and so it's a point on this graph. It's, it's, I mean, I think in a way it could be um, uh, a point and then everything beyond the point. But, but to be, you know, when we talk about sustainability, like that's not sustainable or whatever, I mean, it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, defining a point where um, it's uh, at this point we are now sustainable. And uh, we are now barely not dead. We are barely alive. We're going to we're going to be okay. And um, uh, I had a great podcast with Helen Attow where, where she went into a lot of detail about organic systems being not sustainable, and and how she is managing a two thousand acre organic farm. And and it's like while it's or, it is indeed organic, it's uh, the practices that they're that they're currently doing are not sustainable. And she's exploring areas to try and get to be more sustainable. Um, I I saw some food yesterday that was labeled sustainably grown. And um, and so I pull out the package and I'm looking at it to try and find out what what do they think that's that means. And then the the, the stuff on the package was all so vague. And it's like it didn't mean anything it's like you know do you use i mean i want i really wanted to find out when it said sustainably grown uh farmed sustainably uh do you use synthetic fertilizers do you use pesticides these questions weren't answered it wanted to talk about our family's been around for generations, and we love the environment. We love people. We love good food. And we think food should be good. Bad food is bad. Good food is good. And it's like it just had all this 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 politico speak on it that just didn't make any commitments or say anything that was of any value to me. And I thought, oh, great. Somebody's figured out that sustainably farmed is a great phrase to put on your packaging. And uh, there's no regulation over what that means. So what the hell? Stick that on there instead of doing the organic thing. Bringing that up, is I'm glad you brought that up. There was an article in, in the local newspaper here in Virginia about a a vegetable farmer that that's you know his family's been vegetable farming around here for a long long hundred years at least and about his his uh, no-till farming and how he's working to keep the Chesapeake Bay clean and they had a picture of his no-till farming and if that's what he thinks is no-till he has a lot to learn and but the, the whole article was, was similar to what you were describing about this package in that during I read the whole thing through and and some of his things like he he did plan a buffer zone to prevent 
the nitrogen that he uses, the nitro- synthetic nitrogen fertilizer that he uses only once per season. <laughs> and it was like, and he was all being written up. And the other guys, the other farmer that they were mentioning has a, they have a huge operation with several thousand acres, and each one of their plots is monoculture. <laughs> it was like, what are they? And they're promoting these guys as being sustainable farms that are helping the environment. It was crazy. It was the lead story in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, uh, different standards. Um, and uh, And I think it makes a good point, too, that if you were to go down there and if you were to try and talk to them, and make suggestions or or whatever. The important thing is, is like okay, based on the rules of the wheat and eco scale, you would be probably at least two levels higher. Which means that when you talk to them, they're going to hear what you say and they're going to think that you sound crazy. <laughs> I emailed one of the farmers. He, he hasn't answered, but I also invited him to Permies. <laughs> we'll see how that flies. I, I think most people that are getting started in gardening or have even been gardening a little while or have a few chickens or whatever, I think they're going, if they come out to Permies, they will think that this is all crazy talk. It just won't make sense. And it's going to take, it's going to take, I mean, someone's going to need to give them the baby steps. Someone's going to have to find out um, where they're at and then help them to move up one level, give them the information they need to move up one level, and then they might be far enough along that that some of the stuff on permies will then start to, to make sense. I agree with that. There's, yeah. There's a group on Facebook that I'm a I'm a member of that I've been gently persuading them to come look deeper into their gardening. You know. Right. And just to look deeper into their gardening cuz the, the name it's the name of the uh the group has to do with composting and I was trying to I've been I've been, been inviting them. I think a couple have visited, but I don't think they've joined yet. So I yeah um, I, and there's there's a good one. I mean a lot of people have have trouble even you know grasping the concept of composting and then and then when we get far enough down the path we try to introduce systems that we're no longer composting. <laughs> you know it's yeah. kind of it's a little bit like the fluorescent light bulb. You know at, at eco level one people buy fluorescent light bulbs and at eco level four. They, they, you know, no longer buy any fluorescent light bulbs, um, and so it's it's one of those one of those kinds of things. Um, there's there's a path. There's there's you know you uh, we can't we can't. I mean, it's this is why talking about Sepp Holzer is so hard because since he's at level ten on the scale, then by definition, everybody who's at level seven and below is going to think Sepulcher's crazy. I I talked to somebody who claimed that they were into permaculture, who thinks that, who actually said that what he does, what Sep does, is not permaculture. Yeah, I've heard those things too, and they'll say that it's because Sepulcher is, um, I don't know, not singing the permaculture song just the way they want to hear it. Exactly. 
and and um, yeah, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that, and it's kind of like uh, in the meantime, when 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 the uh, our our permaculture experts show up at Sepp's place, they say this is this is an excellent example of permaculture. I, I frankly think it's the best example of permaculture, but they'll say it's an excellent example of permaculture, and then uh, and then later they'll have to like you know say oh but it's not permaculture because Sepp Holzer's not you know blah 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 who knows whatever it is they're going to make up, um, and and it's like uh, this is this is like one of the ugliest things in permaculture I'm aware of is is where um, people are using the word permaculture as a weapon to say I'm great and you suck um, and and uh, I I really did I, I mean well I've there are of all the people out there that have taken a PDC I've taken a permaculture design course I would guess that half of them would refuse to come out to permies because they believe that um, uh, let's see what is they they uh, they don't appreciate censorship which I I practice all the time I delete anything so like I've I don't know when somebody comes up and they say uh, you are stupid and I delete that that censorship and so then um, uh, half the world in the, that have a P, half the people that have a, a PDC have taken a PDC would um, refuse to come out to permies because of that or because uh, I've uh, I endorse SAP as as a, a perm, as a as the best permaculture example and and therefore they think that that's crazy or that um, I don't allow uh, talk about social justice which is uh, to to a lot of people an important part of permaculture which it is on the other hand I also it's not what my site's about but because I don't allow it then they think the whole site's screwed and I, and I get you know and there's basically there's just people out there that say that I have to present permaculture their way and if I won't be their personal bitch then they're not coming and they'll tell everybody else what a sucky place it is and I completely support their choice they should tell everybody I want to keep those people away I want to attract only the people that are aligned with my philosophies in permaculture how, how I look at it is as far as some of the points that you just covered is especially the, the censorship part <clears throat> it's your site yeah you you made a rule and it says in big you know black and white there's only one rule I've, I've been out to the sites where they don't have censorship and um, it, it usually works out to be like five or six people in asbestos underwear flaming each other and calling each other names and and telling each other that they're wrong and and uh, just nasty 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 so um, uh, uh, I on the other I think PRI's got a good one. The, the Australian forums, um, the Permaculture uh, Research Institute. Uh, uh, I have not seen Nasty out there. I think that they did a good job. I've had some people tell me that there is, but I, I guess I don't participate enough out there to know. Um, well, I'm not going to name the site, but this morning I was at one that I was chastised for, for suggesting that it's okay to eat animals. And then there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to make it clear that um, I, I 
really hope that on permacul or on permies.com that we uh, have ample respect for vegans and non-vegans alike. I frankly, when I hear of somebody that, that has made the choice to be a vegan, to me it seems like they are sacrificing uh, meat as as food um, um, for uh, uh, moral standards. I'm, you know, and, and and then I see people like bashing the vegans, and it's like, damn it, not on my site. You do not bash vegans on my site. I I think that that's an admirable thing. Like I'm going possibly to sacrifice what's good nutrition, maybe not, but maybe for the for a higher calling to do to do what's right. I might fuck up my own stuff to do what's right. For you know, and and to me that's just massive, massively cool. It is. It Good is. for them. They're standing up for what they believe in. Anybody who goes and 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 will will um, do dietary things uh, and and change their lives for the betterment of the world uh, is good. Now now, granted, I don't agree with with it. I have a different philosophy. I, I think that certain paths down the vegan road um, actually kill more animals. But um, on you know, and, and I think that you know we're talking about eco levels and stuff like that. And it's like um, uh, I do think that there's like when you grow your own garden, if a vegan gets like ninety percent of their food from their own garden, they do in fact kill fewer animals than um, an Omni that gets their food from a grocery store. Now, on the other hand, if you have an Omni that's eating 90% of their food off of their own land uh, versus a vegan eating 90% off of their food off their own land, I think that person still kills more, but it's still a lot less than buying it from the grocery store. But um, and, and, in fact, um, I, I think that's a whole other podcast is like, let's talk about how many animals are killed with with uh, carrots grown organic carrots that you buy at the grocery store how many how many animals and, and then like let's ex- do an exploration of that space but um that's that's a very I don't good idea bash, I don't want to bash the omnis for their choices cuz uh and I don't want to bash the vegans I really I I have I have respect for all these parties and I just and on permies I don't want any of that bashing and then um, uh, some of the some of the vegans want to come in and and bash the shit out of omnis and and uh, because I delete that then then they cry censor and that this site sucks. Great, I you know if if somebody just can't express themselves without kicking somebody else in the nuts, then um, I mean. I, 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 I think they should go get their own pot. They should go get a podcast. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> that works. But, that works. But yeah. when we're talking about, I mean, basically, I separated permies out from richsoil.com for a very particular reason. I mean, I'm trying to grow a community there. And um, and when you nurture that kind of community, there, there does have to be a certain kind of respect or else the community just cannot grow. And and so um, I think so. I'm trying at the same time. I've got a lot of stuff to rant about, so I do that at Rich Soil. And these podcasts are part of the Rich Soil package. And at Permies, I'm very carefully trying to foster a community uh, down a certain path. But anyway, I'm just spending too much time talking about that. I want to get back to the the graphic I was talking about. 
earlier. I on, have it up on the screen. On Husk. And, and so there's a lot of overlap between different things. And so we start off, it's, it's, a, it's a horizontal line that I've drawn, and on the far left side is animal-grade food. And then there's a line showing food that the USDA allows to be sold. And then there's, you know, so, uh, and then there's another line showing, you know, food that the USDA allows to be sold as organic. And then we've got the sustainable line. And then um, permaculture covers a broad spectrum. And then, frankly, the other thing is, is that it's like, um, if I were to claim percentages, then um, the, the, the line where food the USDA allows to be sold is like somewhere around, seven percent of the way up the line and then for usda organic it's about 15 percent of the way up the word sustainable probably occurs at about 20 percent of the way up and then there's all this room off to the right for permaculture and biodynamic and then far beyond permaculture and biodynamic is husp and and the thing is is that i it it I have a feeling, I'm just going to say this, a very vague feeling, that if, if 400 years uh, of, of what was going on on top of a permaculture-ish thing 400 years ago, 400 years with millions of people living in, in this chunk of land, sharing between them and having their own university systems which help to, you know, gain higher thought down these roads. I mean, I really wonder where we would be in 2011, and I think it would be something far more awesome than what I can imagine now, while at the same time being a lot like permaculture. And so permaculture 2.0, maybe even permaculture 7.0, you know, how many generations down the road would it be? How many great big leaps of thought might there have been? So, I, I like the idea that we would be talking about, um, if you want to have a really delicious raspberry, here's what you plant next to it. So, um, and then I, in this particular post, I... Uh, I was making a lot of responses based on some of the points that have been brought up at that, at that point. Um, uh, but one of them was, if somebody asked me if I ever read Ecotopia, I, and I did read Ecotopia um, decades ago, and, and an interesting point is that when Diana Leaf Christian was young, she, like, rented a room from the Ecotopia guy, the guy that wrote it. She got to visit with him firsthand. Anyway... You still there, Dave? No? Huh. I'm still recording. All right. Well, maybe this is a good time to, to leave Husp alone since Dave's gone. Because <laughs> um, I hate talking to myself for a podcast. <laughs> I just can't do it. Uh, um Horticulture of the United States of Pocahontas. It's it's all set up out there at the permies.com forums. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and stop. Uh, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about wacky things in my head, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Mm-hmm.